Well, good morning. Uh, it happens about once every six years that Christmas falls on a Sunday. It's not exactly six because of um, the juxtaposition of uh, um, leap years, but uh, it's very close to six. And this is one of those years in 2022. Um, now, of course, December 25th is, is an arbitrary assignment for the birth of the Lord Jesus, but it's the date uh, Christianity has chosen to celebrate Christmas on. And so uh, it seems entirely appropriate that uh, Christmas should be on a Sunday, because that's the day we normally come together, as we already have this morning earlier, to worship the Lord. So in two weeks, we will have a conjunction, just like the conjunction of Mars and the moon the other night. Did you know about that? Moon went out, uh, Mars went behind the moon and came out again. That's a conjunction, just like the conjunction of that. We'll have a conjunction in two weeks of uh, coming together and remembering both the birth and the death of the Lord Jesus. Although I must say we did some of that this morning earlier, didn't we? So as John said, he is he is actually preparing this special service for two weeks from now. And I'm really looking forward to that, except that we will be not here. I'm sad to say we will be at a the BBC conference in Texas. And so we will have to miss it. But um or we'll be in Utah, I can't remember. Um, but maybe I can I zoom into it. But I encourage everyone to come out to that. It should be a wonderful time together. And as he said, leading up to that, we're going to have these two messages, one from me and one from Paul Hagen, uh, focusing on uh, some verses in, in the first chapter of the gospel according to John. So in John 1.1, we read these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that's what we'd like to talk about this morning, Jesus, the word. Lord Jesus, you are the word, and we are going to explore that this morning. And we pray that as we do so, you would uh, enliven our spirits by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and understand, and that you would, you would, uh, make us in awe of what you have done in this world. Uh, we, we open our hearts to you now and look forward to what you have to say. Amen. So in that verse, Jesus is referred to as the word. Now, when we think about the word, word, we think about communication, spoken or written. I say a word, you hear the word, and a thought in my brain becomes the same or roughly the same thought in your brain. Or I write a word or sequence of words, and you read those sequence of words, and the same thing happens. Thought in my brain becomes a thought in your brain. It's a really remarkable thing. We take it totally for granted. But just the fact that we're able to do that, communicate 
a thought, sometimes quite a complex thought in our brain into the same thought in someone else's brain. That's what it means by word. It's communication. So if Jesus is the word, then the question is, who is speaking? Who is listening? And what's the message? That's what you have to ask about every word, right? Who's speaking? Who's listening? And what's being transmitted across that that channel of communication? Well, it's clear from this verse that who is speaking is God. But the strange thing is that not only is God the speaker, but he's also the message. And the word was with God. He's the speaker. And the word was God. So he's the message too. Now, this should be confusing. When I speak a word to you, the message isn't me. It's a thought in my brain, but the message isn't me. I'm, it's not me that's going from me to you. It's a thought that's going from me to me by the vehicle of words. But here, the word was God. How can that be? That's what we're going to explore today. And as we do that, we have to ask, we still have to ask the question, what was the message? At the most fundamental level, the word was God, the message was God. But what was the message? What was God trying to communicate? By being the word. And in doing this, we will enter into very deep waters and we will plumb the depths of the very meaning of the universe and our existence. Does that sound like a good thing to do on a Sunday morning? That's what we're going to do today. So I want to think about communication. Word is communication. And I want to think about how God communicates with us. This is a really good thing to think about. How does God communicate with us? And I would say the first way thing to think about it is he communicates to us through his creation. So we'll get to John 1 a little later, but first of all, he communicates to us through his creation. In Psalm 19:1, we have these familiar words from David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above or the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Those are words of communication. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says these things. God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things 
that have been made. Okay, so at the basic level, just look around and there's a message. And what's the message? God's eternal power and divine nature. Just look around. We don't need a Bible to do that. We don't need uh, a prophet to do that. We don't need anything. Just look around. So let's think about this. Let's look around in our mind's eye. I have a nice example here that um, I shared some of this with uh, the men at the prayer meeting, I think a few weeks ago when we were having breakfast. But just just think about the night sky. Okay, we're going to look around. Night sky. Maybe we're up at Camp Air Coin or at least out of all this dense suburban stuff where the sky is actually dark. And there's not a lot of city lights burning up into the sky. So you can see a lot. And if you've had this experience before, and I'm sure we all have, you look up and you're, 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 uh, it's breathtaking when you see a black sky punctuated by all the stars up there. You look up and it's beautiful. And you think, wow, there's millions of stars up there. In fact, do you know the number of stars that you can see with the naked eye? I don't suppose you've tried to count them, but it's not as many as you think. There's several thousand that you can see with the naked eye. See a lot more with the telescope, of course, but with the naked eye, you can see several thousand. Now, I want to say that this experience has been available to every human that's ever walked on the earth. This is not something for modern science to look up at the stars. It's not something for somebody who has a Bible in their hand or a special messenger. Everybody has had this available to them from the beginning of the time. But in the last few centuries, as uh, we've become more of a scientific culture, we've actually been able to look more and more deeply and discover more and more of the structure of the universe. And so we have an opportunity to look around in a far more profound way. So let me tell you some things that we discover as we look around. There are only a few thousand stars, but sometimes you see that thing. It sort of looks like a band, almost like clouds. And you wonder, oh, is it a cloudy night? But it's not a cloudy night. That's, you know what that is? That's the Milky Way, right? That's the, that's the, uh, the galaxy that we live in. What's a galaxy? A galaxy is just a cluster of stars. And we live in a galaxy that we call the Milky Way. Where one, our sun is one star in the Milky Way. And that band that you see looks like a cloud. It's actually stars, but you can't make them out with the naked eye individually. It's just they're so far away that they just all blur together. Do you know that there are about 100 billion stars in that band going across the sky? 100 billion stars. That's our galaxy that we live in. It's our home galaxy. We're one out of a hundred billion. Now that's looking around. Doesn't that take your breath away? And it's big. It's really big. The Milky Way is huge. If you were to get in a spaceship, step on the gas and get it up to a hundred thousand miles an hour. Let me get my numbers right here. It would take approximately 
10,000 years to reach the nearest star to us. Okay, you're going 100,000 miles an hour. It takes 10,000 years to reach the nearest star. And there's 100 billion of them up there. I love that verse in Genesis 1 where it says, oh, and incidentally, God made the stars. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's so big. It's huge. And that's only the beginning. Did you know that there are other galaxies? There's our galaxy with 100 billion stars and the closest star is a long way away. But there are other galaxies. Now, the ancients didn't know this, but once we got telescopes and so on, we could start to discover this. The current estimate is that there are in the universe roughly one trillion galaxies. Whoa, and they're all, some are bigger, some are smaller than ours, but ours, they say, is an average size. So you do the math. If you can even add up all those zeros, a trillion galaxies with 100 billion stars in each one, and God made the stars. You just look around and that says something about God. It says something about his divine nature and his mighty power. And I will say, incidentally, that... Among secular scientists, uh, materialists, men and women who don't believe in God, that there's a God, there's a big effort to try to discover other life in the universe. And this is a huge effort. And I could tell you about this. It's, it's, but we don't have time. But there's a lot of work going on in the world to try to detect other life. Obviously, it's going to be hard to reach there if at 100,000 miles an hour, you, it takes 10,000 10, years to get to the nearest star. But but people are looking for life. But I believe, the scriptures don't directly back me up on this, uh, but they don't contradict this. I believe that there isn't other life in the universe. I believe that man is God's central creation. That's what the universe is about. And he made the universe so big and so incredible and so discoverable as the years go by, just so that we would see more and more how magnificent and mighty he is as the years go by, as our technology increases. And he just takes our breath away. There's, there's discoveries being made in astronomy more and more. They're more and more frequent as, as the telescopes get better and satellite telescopes and things like that. They're getting better and better and we're discovering more and more. And it's really quite remarkable the things. If you read about them, read about neutron stars, amazing things. There, there's so many things. I believe he did that so that the more we discovered, the more we lifted up our hands and worshiped to him rather than saying, oh, I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's life on the planets around the sun's in that galaxy. He did it all for us. That He created that. So this is what I mean, or what David means by the heavens declare the glory of God. It's a communication. It itself is a word to us, a communication from God to tell us. So it's interesting to think about 
a God of that magnitude and power and awesomeness communicating with the little puny people that he's put in the, in the universe that are so small relative to the universe. How does he communicate with them? Well, we've said one way, but that's sort of by the people looking around and, and kind of guessing that it has to be that way, that there has to be a God behind all of this and that he's mighty and he's powerful. But how does he communicate more sophisticated messages to his people? And by the way, that's an important method of communication. Paul is implying in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that we read earlier that there is a responsibility in terms of man, having seen this, to respond to God. He's given the evidence at, at the very least that he's there and that he's a creator. But how does he do something now more specific than that? In fact, we know this uh, familiar passage from Exodus 33 where Moses was was actually talking to God, and I'll mention that in a minute, but he says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim and and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. That's just another indication. The Lord is so magnificent and glorious that you can't even look at his face. So how does he communicate with people? Someone that you can't even look at. Well, there's another way that the Lord communicates with people. And that's through direct special revelation. In fact, we just saw an example of that with Moses. God was actually somehow having a conversation with Moses. Now, when you picture that in your mind, you picture maybe maybe a, a really magnificent king or something. I don't know what the picture is in your head, but I, I guess that's what I would think. Somebody that's very magnificent and royal and deigning to talk to somebody. But that's still a human, using human words. But God is spirit. So somehow he's manifesting himself as words to Moses. But that's not, God isn't really words. He's the word, as we'll see shortly. But so so he's sort of doing a miracle in in sort of channeling the things that are in his head, if you can call it a head, into Moses' head by making Moses hear things that sound like a person talking, but but that's God, but let's not limit God when we when we hear that. But God did that to a lot of people. There's many examples of it in scripture. There's Samuel and Noah and David, Ezekiel, uh, John, and that's just to name a few. There's a lot of people in the Bible that God spoke to, if I can put that in air quotes, he spoke to. It's interesting to think about the the things that he was speaking to these people about. Uh, They often had to do with uh, the actual personal decisions that that person was making in their life. Um, There were words of direction or words of challenge or words of 
uh, that were to be delivered to other people like a prophet would. Um, but they that they had to do with that person. He was speaking personally to these people. He wasn't giving them theology lessons um, uh, or anything like that, but it, but it had to do with the lives. And that tells us something, too, about the fact that God cares about people, that he's concerned about individuals. He's not just concerned about general things, but he's concerned about specific things. But there's a problem in the world. And we know about that problem. We just look around. The world is broken. It's broken everywhere. We know that there's this problem in the world. And while God's special communications often dealt on an individual level with these, with this problem, the sin problem in people's lives, the need for redirecting people or uh, for pointing out sin or for encouraging good behavior. All of that is good for individuals, but this special revelation doesn't solve the worldwide problem of the fact that there is a broken relationship with the creator that began with the original sin of Adam. And now you should guess where I'm going with this because we're coming back to Jesus was the word and he was a message. And you can see where I'm going to go with this. One thing as we think about this is, why doesn't God communicate this way with everybody? I mean, as if you're uh, you're hearing actual words. He still does communicate this this way today. You hear about dreams. People are given dreams. This happens a lot in the Muslim world. God is still doing this, but he's not doing it to everybody. In fact, it's, as far as we can tell, it's to a small fraction of people. Why doesn't he do it to everybody? Well, I actually don't know the answer to that. It, it's, a, it's a good thing to, to think about. Um, but this brings us to the fact that to speak to everybody in a way that's actually going to persist through time, to communicate a message that's going to persist through time, that's not just to an individual person, to that circumstance. God had another method of communication, and that was his written word. So he directed the miraculous writing and the miraculous preservation of a whole library over a period of thousands of years. And so we, today, we bind all those books in that library into one book. And we call it the Bible. And in it, we can now all learn something about the heart of God. It's not just the people that God speaks to directly or that the people that hear from the people that he speaks to directly, like the people of Nineveh that we were just talking about a few weeks ago, who heard from 
someone who himself heard directly from God. So we don't even need to be two steps away from that. We can be a lot of steps away because the written word has survived through time. That's a really good thing to think about how important the Bible is in preserving God's heart over time. So David says in the second verse of the Psalms, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So here's the law, the written law. He had the written law. David did the Torah and he could read that many, many years after it was written and he could meditate on it and he could think about it. And as he studied the law, he learned more and more what God was like. And God, through the written word, was communicating to David. And so it goes down through the centuries. And today we do the same thing. The, uh, in the evangelical Christian world, the Bible is a precious resource to us. We know that. We study it. We preach on it. I'm preaching on it today. I'm preaching out of it today. It's God's written communication to man. We put a great emphasis on it, and rightly so. And uh, we, we encourage people to read the scriptures for themselves, to have that direct experience that maybe in all likelihood they're not having a personal conversation with God. I'm not talking about prayer here, but I'm talking to God, you actually hearing words like Moses did, like you say something and then God says something and then you say something and God says something. I don't think most people are having that experience, but they can, through the written word, experience God communicating to them and learning about God and learning what he loves and what he hates. But you know, this still isn't enough to repair Adam's breach. Something more is needed. And that's when we come to Christ, the Word. Verse we read at the beginning tells us that God's ultimate communication with his creatures is himself. Isn't that amazing? We have the universe that he made and he communicates through that. We have direct words, at least for some people, that he communicates in a, like a speaking way to some people, special revelation. We have the written word. And those are all wonderful things, but they all pale in significance compared to communicating to us by himself. He himself, become, God himself becomes the word. So we can imagine God communicating uh, even more than he does through um, in order to convince man of, of his existence, of his love. Uh, we can imagine that maybe he makes an even bigger universe or a more complex universe. Speaking of complexity, by the way, one of the things I would love to talk about as well in his creation is not only the big, but the small. I just want to mention this as an aside. It's incredible when you go down to the very smallest level of what we know, and science can do that more and more. And uh, there's so much to say there about what God has done 
at the smallest level. And one thing I just wanted to encourage you to do, if you want to have some fun with that, I'm sure Larry has already done this many times, but if you, <clears throat> if you go to YouTube and search for microbiology simulation, microbiology simulation, you'll see some videos there that will uh, leave you flabbergasted as to what's going on inside every one of the trillion cells that's in your body. It's just totally amazing. But God could have made it even more complex and more beautiful and more pointing to himself. He could speak with more people. He could speak with everybody. He could have conversations with everybody. He maybe could have, uh, you know, we have sometimes have trouble interpreting the Bible. He could have, I guess, made the Bible clear and taken out all the confusing passages. Uh, uh, he could have made it longer. He could have made it more explicit. He could have made it like a, uh, a theology, the lecture notes from a theology course. We can imagine lots of ways that he could he could uh, communicate more in these channels we've been talking about. But instead of that, he went a hundred thousand steps beyond that, and he communicated to us by himself. And in fourteenth uh, verse of John one, we hear how that happened. This is eight words. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. Nobody could have predicted this. Nobody predicted it in the Old Testament, even though there were lots of prophecies about the Lord coming. Nobody could have predicted that the Messiah was going to be God, that it would be God himself coming into the word, world. The word that is God himself in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ became flesh. He was the word. He was the message as he came down. Becoming flesh, the Lord becoming flesh is the greatest miracle of all time. Now, there's a Christmas carol entitled, Let Heaven and Earth Combine, that we don't sing. I think we should. Um, it's by Charles Wesley, and the, the first word, first verse ends with these two lines. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And I love that expression, incomprehensibly made man, because it suggests that it's, it's inconceivable to imagine that God can become man. And it's also inconceivable that he would do it in order to pass a message, to communicate something to the people that he had created. Earlier, Rocco brought out that nice analogy with uh, us making ants and then becoming an ant. And of course, it's, uh, it's far more inconceivable than that. Just the fact that he became a man communicates a great message, but he was here to do much more than that, much more. Jesus grew up. He entered into his public ministry. And wow, did he communicate. He's the word. He's the message. And boy, was he a message. 
We can look throughout his ministry, just a few years of public ministry, three years of public ministry, and we see God at work communicating, speaking directly to all that man needed to hear. Your parables, explicit teaching, miracles, living righteously. His life was a constant communication to us. And it's a, because it was recorded in his written word, it's been a constant communication to all mankind for 2,000 years. Think of that. That brief period of three years has communicated so much about God. But of course, his ultimate message, mission, his ultimate message, the fact that he was a word, wasn't revealed to the world until the end of his life. When he died an atoning death to open the way for healing the broken relationship between creator and creature. And what did he communicate through this selfless act? What was the word of the word? It was God's love. John says later in his gospel, for God so loved the world. And that's what he proved. That's what he communicated on the cross. And some years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul records what uh, many believe to have been uh, one of the earliest, if not the earliest, of the hymns that the church sang. And it was referenced again earlier this morning. Here are some words from uh, Philippians chapter 2. Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Those words beautifully express how God himself was his own word to mankind. So how shall we respond to this? Well, we've received a message. We've received a letter from God, a word from God. Open the letter. Read the communication. Understand the message. Incredibly, my creator loves me and wants a relationship with me. My response should be come to the cross. Humble myself, repent, accept with gratitude the greatest gift and live in harmony with God himself. <laughs> Fantastic. As a result of this word, this communication. Perhaps all of us here today, I think I know everybody here. Uh, we've all read the letter, so to speak. And we've responded to it. But sadly, there are still many who have never read the letter. Any of the ways that God communicates, but the letter 
the word. They've never read it. Or they've read it and ignored it. Or they've read it and they've scoffed at it. Saying it's nothing more than a fairy tale. How this must break the heart of God. Think about this from God's perspective, if that's even possible. How would he feel? I'm. It's hard to use these words about God because so anthropomorphic to make God into what we are because he made us the way he is but created us in his image but just bear with me how he must feel creating this vast universe to tell about himself speaking directly to people and having them not respond writing so much down in the bible And people laughing at it and scorning it and throwing away. And then finally, coming himself into the world and being rejected and scorned and disowned. Not only at the cross, but throughout history. How that must break the heart of God. And yet, in spite of his vast and great power that would enable him... Should he so choose to snuff out the entire universe in the blink of an eye, in spite of that, he continues to wait patiently. As one by one, his creatures read and understand that message and turn to him and accept his gift. I'd like to end today with a five-minute video uh, that uh, CMML has put together. And it's just it's just a a video about about the um, the progress of the gospel, the building of God's church around the world in the past years, and um, and it should encourage us to not only be just incredibly grateful for God's message to us as the Word, but also. It should motivate us to want to move forward and tell those around us about that same message. So let's just finish by watching this short video. Lord, we just are amazed by your coming into this world as the word. Love you, Lord. Help us to follow you and be part of what you are doing in this world and communicating your love for all men. Amen.